0: I love this show. I love this idea. I'm going to have to call Arthur and tell him I'm mad that I wasn't at lunch. Yeah, I, mean, I, I came up with it.
1: Episode R-003 of Reboots is sponsored by Valley Cuts Barber & Spa, by Ray Nichols Cleaning Service, and by Cisterna Music Group. All these businesses are owned by our featured guest, Chris Cheney. Music is at the heart of Chris's growing portfolio, featuring rap artists and official merchandise. Ray Nichols Cleaning Service provides commercial and construction cleaning, floor cleaning, parking lot and sidewalk cleaning, pressure washing, and janitorial services in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Valley Cuts Barber and Spa is a place in Fort Smith to get a haircut, a shave, a manly facial, and to have some serious and fun conversations about life and business. You're going to find links to all these businesses in the show notes.
2: Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over, either through their own missteps or through no fault of their own. All walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Now, here's your host, Tracy Winchell.
1: This Reboots story features a dear friend, Chris Chaney, serial entrepreneur. He showed early business acumen by routinely doubling his money, Selling double bubble gum to his eighth grade classmates. Chris had his eyes set on a very dangerous but lucrative lifestyle until his cousin Lee gave Chris a choice drugs or rap. Today, Chris offers opportunities for others to flourish in life and in business. We're going to talk to Chris about how rap, a music he hated, turned him away from early aspirations to sell drugs. We'll talk with him about why in his early to mid-twenties, he called a buddy to help him throw away most of his possessions into a dumpster on a really rainy night. And we're going to find out from Chris What are the questions he asks, and what's the one he doesn't when considering new business and life opportunities? Let's catch up with Chris at Valley Cuts Barber and Spa in Fort Smith. It's only a block or two away from the neighborhood where Chris spent his childhood. We're with Chris Cheney. In his uh, private offices at Valley Cuts Barber and Spa. Hey, Chris. Howdy. I've known you since you were early 20s, probably?
0: Yes, probably around... Maybe 24. Something like that.
1: And I, when, when, I, when I booked you for this interview... I would have thought that I knew what those reboot moments were for you, and before we rolled tape here, um, I realized how wrong I was. <laughs> Fascinated that no matter how well we know someone, sometimes we don't ever know what that reboots moment was.
0: When I in growing up. The older I get, the more I realize that a lot of growing up wasn't completely normal. But in growing up, right over here, H Street Park, I grew up watching drug dealers. I wanted to be a drug dealer. That was my goal at that time. I would see guys. Um, man, you would think they were bums, but they weren't. Had two, three thousand dollars on them at a time. Um, in the in the next breath, there were the same in that group of friends that they had. That they were a little older than me. That same group of friends. Uh, I was in the seventh grade. One guy was in the ninth grade, and he got his. He would take his clothes to the cleaners. He would come ninth grade, the only person with brand new Jordans. Tommy Hilfiger creased up, heavy starch. If you were from the same neighborhood, he paid for your lunch. If you had lunch together, I had a lunch at Darby, and he paid for everybody from Eighth Street that neighborhood. If you were in that lunch, he paid for it. Uh, to me, that was a life. I thought, man, at the you know, my grandparents they they worked. Uh, my grandmother. At some points, worked up up to three jobs. My grandfather he was a uh, cab driver, and so he had drove cab for as long as him, him and my grandmother were married. But for me, seeing you know the kids with the Tommy figures, the Jordans, I thought, I thought in my to myself, we didn't make enough money. Looking back, I know we we were, we were pretty good. My grandfather he bought new cars every year. I didn't think nothing about it, you know. But that was his, that's the way he spoiled himself for the hard work he had going on. And so, but I thought, man, if I could sell dope, (laughs) I'd be able to buy my own stuff. And so, uh, but to me, that was normal. That was my norm growing up. Um, You know, I had a a group of friends, myself, a small group. And we just, we rent, you know, ripped and run up and down the neighborhoods and, and, uh you know, stole bicycles, <laughs> stripped them for parts, put together new bikes, and sold them. Uh, just you know, being being little menaces. A bicycle chop shop business at how old? Man, we were probably eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. We. My sister told me the other day we were talking, and she says, "Man, I remember when you were when I used to sell bubble gum." And she brought that up. I'd go to it. Used to be a Dollar General. Uh, right around the corner from here, and I'd go in and buy bubbleicious bubble gum. It'd be five of them in a pack, and it'd be two fifty for the pack. And I would sell the in I'd, I'd sell the individual packs within that pack for fifty cent. I'd make my five bucks, go back and buy more bubble gum, and I'd sell it after lunch. That way, you know, not have to get through eating, you know, nachos or, or uh, you know, pizza day. After lunch I'd get you, I'd make all my money after lunch. I had teachers, one teacher's name was Mr. Fisher, Waldo Fisher, I'd never forget he told me, Cheney, you're gonna do you're gonna be one of two things when you get older. Either a politician or a lawyer, because all you do is lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I know of Mr. Fisher. Yeah. Guy. I said, Oh, Mr. Fisher, don't do me like that. And he he would have I thought he had eyes in the back of his head because he knew when I was selling bubblegum in his class, he'd be talking Mr. Cheney? Put it up, or I'm going to take it. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to get my money, Mr. Fisher. Let me be great. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> Bubble gum. I sold whatever I could get my hands on. Because at that time, it was eighth grade, maybe. And, you know, my cousin, we were talking about the first reboot. At In seventh grade, I remember getting in trouble and getting called to the office. And I remember... You know, a police officer being in there, and this police officer, he he called me and another guy from a rival gang. Uh, he called the two of us there, and he says, "Hey man, listen, whatever problems y'all have, we need you to squash this right now." Because the group of guys that I hung out with and the group of guys he hung out with, the other guy, they would get into it pass in passing in the hallways, and of course, at that that time of my life, they looked and they were like, man, you know, these guys were the influential members of the groups so they called he and I to the office, then the following year, that, well, the summer going into eighth grade, I'm looking around, and, and I can remember dope things running up to me at H Street Park, I'm on a payphone, that's back when payphones were like 10 cents, you know, <laughs> I'd run up, dope things would run up to me, you know ask me hey man you got some crack you got some yay and i'm like man listen i don't sell drugs but that's what was going on so i had a whole plan devised i i, I would see guys uh, go to jail and i'm thinking these guys are dumb they they have they they don't they're clueless about it. they're sloppy with the business this is what i would do different so i talked with a guy and he he was going to give me 50 bucks worth for free then i would get I'd make a hundred. I'd give him his fifty back. Take that fifty, buy another, and then just go from there. So I had this plan all laid out. Knew how I was going to do it. Uh, you know, then we knew what the undercover cops looked like. So it, it's, it always trips me out. I remember one time I was going to start as a club on the next block over from the barbershop, and I was in talks with the owner to manage the club. Well. I was waiting for the owner. I had a meeting set up, and I was waiting for him, and I saw I was parked in a field across the street from the, the club, and I saw, a, I saw a car pass me once. Growing up, you see a car pass you one time, it's cool. You see the same car pass twice, now you're watching that car. So I see this car pass me. I see it pass me for the third time. Then a marked car pulls up. I roll my window down. I said, hey, man, listen, you can tell the undercover that he needs to get a different car. Because I, I made him the second time he passed me. The cops laughing and I say, Man, listen, this is why I'm here. But that's that was life growing up. We knew we knew who were under you know, the undercover cops. So me, my plan to sell dope, I said, I know. You know, I see they, they they're methodical. I know when they come by, what they're driving, I know who's what, you know, so by the time I got ready to get in, I already did my research. So I'm going to my cousin, my cousin Lee, Lee Prince, and he lived in Midland Heights at the time. The difference between 8th Street and Midland Heights was crack cocaine and fights. Okay? We sold crack cocaine at 8th Street. That's, that was well, that, that was the vice over there. But in Midland Heights, it was fights. The Bloods would fight Asian Crips. And, man, they would have brawls over in that neighborhood. So, I'm walking down the street. Johnson... Talking to my cousin Lee, and I said, "Hey man, listen, I got a plan. I'm here to start selling dope. This is it. I lay out the plan, and he looks at me. We stopped. He looks at me. And he goes, hey, man, listen, I love you.' And keep in mind, Lee, at that point, Lee was like my big brother, my oldest brother. He he went to prison. I think he was, I think he was 14. So Lee was my brother. You know, I, I got a song said my my my." my big cousin was my brother because my brother was locked up. If it wasn't for this music, that cocaine would get rocked up. That line came from the moment I was talking to Lee and he said, hey man, listen, I'm doing music now. Music was his out, was his way out. So he goes, hey man, listen, I'm doing music. Feel free to do music with me. But if you start selling cocaine, me and you, we, we can't be friends. But at that point for me, it was like, man, this is my big brother. You know, and if this this, because it was so normal to me, to see cocaine being sold, if this right here is would would cut off the relationship between he and I, it's not worth it, you know. So I started doing music. I didn't like rap. Um, I hated rap actually. Um, I dislike it now. So I mean, but you are a rapper. Yeah, yeah. Because the past, I mean, rap kept me out of prison. And the ironic part about rap keeping me out of prison is I've rapped in just about every prison in Arkansas just as a guest, not, a, not an inmate, but rap kept me out of prison rap was my safe haven rap was something that um, when I was supposed to be participating in PE classes at Darby I was writing raps, Coach Jennings told me Chaney, if you don't start participating, I'm a, I will give you an F for PE and in my mind I'm thinking, I can't get an F for PE <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, but it'd be a good reason, you know, if I'm writing raps and so no, rap was my way out so even now, at thirty three, you know people say, "Why are you still doing music?" Well, listen, you don't you don't understand. I know where I could have been had it not been for rap music, and and quite frankly, rap music set me up for a lot of the good things that I have right now. So, um, so I still I still keep that in there. That that was a pivotal moment uh, for me, and so even now, like I said, I still I'm I actually going start working on some new music this month. So. That's super exciting, but no that that was that was early on. So I
1: thought you were going to tell me that was the darkest time of your life, or the reboot, right? And since I've known you, you have gone from rapper, public speaker, and and you bring up your your volunteerism in. In prison, and and I find it fascinating that you that you rap with a bluegrass band when you go yeah, in prison.
0: Yeah, that was exciting. I, I, you know, those guys they actually uh, just I want to say last year they actually just kind of dissolved the group. They felt like their mission in life was was done. Uh, but yeah, that was a real awkward situation because we'd go into these prisons and. These guys would be setting up, playing renditions of, you know, gospel bluegrass mixes that they had. And then they do a 20 minute set. And then, boom, the beat a drop. And it's like prisons are are pretty segregated places. So, you know, you have whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians. And and you have to pick a group, you know, because there are specific. Unwritten rules in prisons. But it would be funny because. You have. You'd have the older white gentlemen. That. Oh they. Foot tapping. Knee slapping. You know. getting Having a real good time. That's why I love music as well. Because music. Desegregated America long before the government did. And so. Then. The beat drops. You know. And. You have these groups. Now it's not a group. That's not separate groups anymore. We're in prison and everybody's hanging out. One time this guy, Dan Hill, I'm from 8th Street, and we have a we have a sign that that, you know, is it it looks like an eight. I was explaining that to Dan one time, and so we're in this gym at this prison, and I'm rapping, and everybody's having a good time. Dan is in the back of everybody. And he's excited about life. He's a real exciting person. He'll hug you every time he sees you. He's just an excited person. So Dan is in the back and he's throwing up eight block, and I'm rapping, doing no. no, like, like I'm giving him a gesture, like, bro, listen, you can't do that because in prison, especially you got different people from all over Arkansas. That symbol, the symbol to me and to Fort Smith is something different to somebody from Pine Bluff, something different to somebody from Little Rock. Blyville, Texas, I'm like, bro, we're in this prison. It's a thousand inmates out here. It's only one guard, and you're throwing up eight blocks. Can't do it, bro. Like, <laughs> and we laugh about that even to this day. But um, it was a very interesting combination, and we made it work. It was, we had fun. You know, bluegrass to rap, and then I talk to the inmates, and and then they feed them brisket, brisket, baked beans, ice cream, and at that moment for those inmates that you know some of them had been locked up I, I, I seen a guy one time and he looked like he was about 30 but he was like 45 and I said man what's up and he said you know my only fear being in here is that people on the outside forget that forget we're here and it it that was that touched me that was that was kind of a moment but that that going in there with the music the ice cream the food that for a lot of those inmates were was the most Freedom that they've had in a long time mentally You know, and it was just an escape For them, so that was the biggest Part, the biggest blessing, being able to go in there To do that with with the bluegrass band As random as that sounds
1: (laughs) So your career Span, just in the time I've known you You know, that's volunteerism Yes Construction
0: Yes, that was random I, I got that job in construction Because of the guys, one of the guys That went with us at the prison Had a construction company so that was how that the construction kind of eased, you know, got its way in there.
1: <laughs> Besides your mu- your your music business actually is a business. Yes. It's an it's an artistry and a business and I learned so much from you. So you you've got that in your portfolio. Then you start working for a janitorial company. Yes. You bought the janitorial company.
0: Well the, the, I, I was going to buy the company that I worked for. What happened was, I was working 50 hours a week for this janitorial company, had about 15 plus employees, and in my mind, I was at a, that, that was a, another kind of a crossroad for me because I said to myself, at, at this rate, at that time I was making 10 bucks an hour, and I said, if I don't make more money, I have to quit rapping because for my goals at the time, $10 an hour didn't do it, plus working 50 hours a week, I didn't have time to do it, I was asleep when I wasn't working, so I thought to myself, this guy has 15 plus employees, I'm working 50 hours a week, this guy's getting paid, I can do this, he's not doing anything, he's just checking on people, I'm like, okay, so I said, I'm going to start a janitorial company, didn't know how, you know, didn't, wasn't even close to figuring out, but that's the beautiful thing about life. I'm a firm believer that when you make your mind up, things fall in place. When you're focused on where you're going, you get there. And I'm saying that to say this: that when I when I got ready to start the janitorial company, I was I would I would tell my cousin, one of my older cousins, I said, "Hey, man, listen, this is what I want to do." And I think he kind of brushed me off a little bit because ideas come a dime a dozen. It's just whether you execute them or not. And so I go, "Hey, bro, listen, this is this is what I'm gonna do." So what I started doing was, the janitorial company, I would ask the boss little questions here and there. And I'd act like I didn't know what was going on, just to get more information. How to build the jobs, what this equipment does, how do I do this. And Then I went out of town to my cousin's mom's graduation. She had gotten her associate degree. And at that time, she was dating a guy who had started the janitorial company. And this guy wrote a book on how to start a janitorial company. So we were sitting around having a good time. When I found out that this guy was on the janitorial company, what I did was I said, hey, man, listen. I I said, hey, show me what I need to do. And he goes, hey, man, I wrote this book. Before you leave, I'll give it to you. He gives me this book. It's a a, a step-by-step book on how to start a janitorial company.
1: How convenient.
0: True story. Then my buddy Mark, he's a promoter. He puts on a comedy show and... At the comedy show was a lady, I I leave outside, I go to my car to come back in, this lady's, she's, I think she was outside smoking a cigarette, I don't don't know why even she was outside. I introduce myself, I say, hey, how you doing? She gives me her card. she owns a janitorial company. So at that point, I'm picking her brain, my cousin's boyfriend, I'm picking his brain, start the janitorial company. An opportunity did come up later for me to buy the janitorial company that I worked for. But in the beginning, I was working at this company, clean their jobs, still doing my 40, 50 hours a week. At Then later, after I did what I did, fulfill my obligations there, then I would later at night go and clean other jobs till I got to a place to where Dave Ramsey said, you know, get the boat as close to shore as possible before you jump off. That's what I was doing. I said, okay, I could spend time sleeping during the day or I could stay up later, get up earlier. <laughs> and then I, you know, college day, started a genital company. Hadn't looked back. I quit through a text message. My boss told me, he said, next time, because one day I requested off, and he told me, he said, next time you send me a text message to request off, I'm going to fire you. So I sent him a long text message. I said, I know you told me the next time I text you that to, to request off, you're going to fire me. So I want to take this opportunity to say, I appreciate everything you've done for me. The keys, the shirts, <laughs> they're on your front porch. I had an opportunity that I could not pass up. I quit. <laughs> and this is the guy who sold you his business later. Yeah, he was looking to sell it to me. I didn't buy it because it, it didn't at the time it didn't make sense for me to do it, but yeah. And I don't I don't think that he thought I was serious, so I quit. Probably about seven months later, I landed a, a a big job that I needed to outsource some you know, some cleaning to. And so I called him and I said, Hey man, listen. I'm I'm getting close to finishing this job. I need you to do XYZ for me, how much you gonna charge me? So so he comes in and he sees what I'd done on the job and he's like, Okay, okay, serious. So I paid him his cut, got my cut, the, the the other workers that helped, I paid everybody, made a nice profit off of it. And then later he came to me and he goes, Hey man, listen, I, I wanna I wanna sub out some jobs to you. Did those, help helped him manage get his budget in order on some things and a little bit later on he says, Hey man, listen, I'm I'm looking to sell So I said, Okay, let's talk, you know and but at the time we went through everything And uh, just at that time, it just didn't make sense for me. Actually, what ended up happening, too, was when I told him it didn't make sense, he, you know, no hard feelings, but he he goes, hey, man, listen, I'm getting ready to just close the door. I have equipment for sale and I have these accounts. Feel free to go put a bid. This is what I charged them. And so really, it worked out that I didn't buy because I ended up getting a lot of the equipment for less and i got some of the accounts that i would have bought from him without without actually buying them so
1: <laughs> except that even more mind bendingness is we opened this interview saying we're in the back of your barber shop not the back of your janitorial business yes
0: that, that was again it's the, it's the power of purpose. It's the power of of of, of having a purpose and saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I don't I may not know how I don't deal in hows. We'll talk about that a little later, but I don't deal in hows whatsoever. I don't deal in how will it happen. That's not that's not in my I, I X that out of conversations because that's not my business. So with I got a new accountant, we talked. When I first met her, Melanie Ratcliffe, and she she was asking me what my goals were. Um, let me backtrack. Can I backtrack? Yes. Okay. Prior to the janitorial company, prior to um, me even getting that job, I was I was at working, while I was working in fast food, I actually was delivering pizzas. I, I said I was 29. I had been working for delivering pizzas. I was getting ready to get the job at the janitorial company. I was 29. I was sitting around in my apartment and I was I was sitting there and I thought to myself, if I died right now, I wouldn't have anything to show for my life anything, no life insurance, you know, my clothes, they were just, you know, they weren't worth anything. nothing, nothing, they would have just emptied out this apartment, everything would have went in the trash, I probably, somebody would probably have an urn, because they would have had to cremate me, you know, I, I thought I have nothing, at that point, I said to myself, nah. If I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna live this life I'm gonna live this life on purpose. That when you ask uh, about the darkest moments, there have been dark moments, and I and dark moments I think are necessary to life. I mean, just in the grand scheme of things, you have day and you have night. So dark moments are necessary. Um, you know, I heard a guy say a blind man um, would never know what it feels like to see light because he's never saw it. So, the beauty of the dark is that we can appreciate the other moments when they come. So, I've, I've had dark moments, but my darkest moment was thinking to myself, if I was no longer on this earth, what would I leave? You know, wh- how would somebody remember me? Aside from my family, my loved ones, people, you know, but, but how would I be remembered? So, I looked at death and I said, in death... I have to live. So, at that point, I threw everything away at my apartment. Everything.
1: You threw you like threw it
0: in, in the, the dumpster. In the garbage. Me and my buddy Ricky. I called him up. I said, "Hey man, listen. I need you to help me move. He's thinking I'm moving somewhere. I'm like, nah, nah. I'm taking this to the to the dumpster. It was raining. It was night. Where he's like, man, he's he's gripping. Man, you got me out here in the rain throwing this stuff away. Man, listen, I got I got a plan in life, like." I kept this desk here and this bookshelf. And I I keep because I remember. It, It helps me to remember where I was at at that point in my life. And so we threw it all away. I slept for months on the floor in my apartment. I threw the bed away, everything. And then at that point, I started, that was the point where I started living on purpose, not by accident, where now I can literally tell you from twenty nine to now, I can tell you what the points were, like why this took place, why this happened, why this happened, how this is going to happen. You know the, and I and I, and I, remi- I try to remain fluid. So if things don't go as planned, just like if we if we were to take a trip and go to New York, well we we most likely would run into construction, and so there are detours in life and okay cool but the end game never changes and that's how I operate I operate from the end and so at that point in starting a janitorial company it was on purpose that's why that's what I attribute meeting different people because I knew where I wanted to go in life we we plan where we're going to go except our life so when I come to the barbershop in the morning I know exactly where the end is so when I leave my house the route to get there is I got that figured out. Because I know where I'm going, but in life, oftentimes we don't. We don't know where we're going, so we're just here and there. But when you figure out, when you figure out, hey, this is where I want to go, and I'm adamant about going here, at that point, it's easier to figure out how to get there. So I, I start with the end. One day, I took a, a, a one of those big white, huge white piece of paper. I just drew a line from one end to the other, and I circled the end. And I made a list and then I just started backtracking these these to get here these are the decisions I need to make these are, the, these are the moves and that's what happened with the janitorial company then going into the barbershop situation that's i in meeting Melanie which was even crazy in itself I met Melanie through the leaving a legacy movie I was in that their offices connected to Melanie Ratcliffe's office and they were like, hey, listen, you need to meet this lady, and so I'm sitting there talking to her, and she's like, what are your goals, you know, what are your financial goals, I say, man, I want to be worth a million by 40, now, I met Melanie a year ago, so we're talking, I'm 32, she kind of looks at me like, you're a little late to be trying to be worth a million by 40, what, you know, where are your finances, I'm like, I don't have anything, I just started this journey, you know, (laughs) I'm, You know, at 29 is when I threw everything away. 30 was like, it's go time, you know. And so then I'm figuring things out. Start the janitorial company. Then, you know, I'm figuring out how to to do, you know, use that money to fuel the music. And then she says, well, listen, you're not putting enough energy towards your goal. And I said, man, I'm, I'm working. So what I did was I looked at my time. And I said, okay, during the day, I'm not doing much of nothing. I'm sleeping so I can be refreshed. Because in janitorial, my job is to see what I don't want you to see. So I go and I said, okay, I got to be sharp. So I sleep during the day, slept during the day, so I can be sharp enough to go in. By the time you come in in the morning to see the building, you don't see anything. Well, that's my job. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, man, I have eight hours or more where I may sleep five, six hours in a day get up, pay bills, take care of my stuff lounge around until it's time to go to work so my cousin at the time owned a shop here in town I'm listening to his goals and we had this conversation we had this same goal conversation plenty of times so I knew verbatim what his goals were he knew verbatim what my goals were but this particular day after I had met with Melanie it something clicked about what he was saying and I said, you know what, I could help him get to where he needs to be and it would fast track some of my goals. so I signed up for barber school like that was the most random probably the most random decision I had made in years was to sign up for because I, I didn't know how to cut hair whatsoever um, you know I could take the clippers and just buzz my hair but I could buzz anybody's hair but as far as actually doing, doing a decent cut I signed up for barber school nobody believed I was going to go to barber school nobody When Melanie asked me about my financial status and where I was at, she asked me, we we combed through the books of my janitorial company, and at the time, there was some different paperwork that I needed to get taken care of that up until that time, I didn't, so she told me the ups and downs of not taking care of that, so I had to get some paperwork from the state, and getting this paperwork from the state, on the application... It said I needed a city business license. Well, I didn't have a city business license, so in me filling out the paperwork for a city business license, there are two. There's two separate city business licenses, and on both sets of paperwork, there are clauses on there that said that if you have employees, those those employees for a home office have to have to live in your house. Okay, that that baffled my mind. So I said, well, I have to take my office out of my duplex, in order to get the city business license so that I can get this license and send off of my state paperwork. It was a whole trail of stuff that I had to do. I was actually pretty upset about it because I had to spend a little bit more money than I anticipated to get it. So now I'm searching Craigslist trying to find me a building. The guy at the city, city offices, he tells me, he goes, hey man, listen, before you get a building, you want to make sure that it's zoned for your businesses. So that was a whole nother piece of the operation that I really wasn't prepared for because when I filled out the application for the cleaning company on the application it asked if I had another business in the state of Arkansas which was my music company so I had to fill out the application for both which means I had to get a business license for both so then I had to make sure that the the office that I was going to get for my cleaning company mathematically I didn't want to get two separate places. I want to be able to put my recording studio and my cleaning company in the same place. So I'm on Craigslist looking for buildings, but it's very slim because we're class zone, class D. And that's commercial. That's that's almost industrial. So that's slim pickings for a decent location in the city of Fort Smith with a decent price. Because when you start talking about industrial, you're talking warehouses and stuff like that. So I'm sitting here like, man, I wish I would have never met Melanie. (laughs) Because had I not met Melanie, then I wouldn't have to be worried about this. And it was just a fiasco in my mind. So I'm on Craigslist, and I found the building that we're in now. The rent, amazing. It was zoned for what we needed. Plenty of space for what we needed. Never intended for this building to be a barbershop. As a matter of fact, I had this building before I enrolled into barber school. And I'm just going to pause for a second. It's purpose. Purpose is everything in my book. When you know where you're going, you make your mind up. The body didn't go anywhere. The head didn't go. Even if you walk backwards, you're going to lean a little bit. So I knew that I needed this building. I didn't know at the time that I needed it for the barbershop. A week after I got this building is when I started talking to Josh about the barber stuff. So I ended up enrolling in barber school. Even when I enrolled in barber school, I still didn't have barbershop in mind for this building. So my aunt comes into town like in July. She lives in California. I'm showing off the building because I'm excited. This big empty building that I got to pay I'm paying rent here. And I got to pay rent at home. And I'm X amount of dollars is just crazy, ridiculous to me. Because I'm thinking, why should I have to do this? All because of a clause in the city paperwork that I will protest about here pretty soon. Sometime or another. I just, I don't know. And my aunt, she's like, well, you have been, you know, why'd you have to move? You know, she's close to 80. She's like, why'd you have to move? And I'm explaining to her. So then she tells me, she goes, she's proud of me proud of you, Chris. You got this big empty building. Now what? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, why don't you turn it into, a, this, make this your barbershop. I'm like, man, you, you're you right. Well, it just so happens. It's a lot of just so happy moments. <laughs> it just so happened the building, the front part of the building was a barbershop before. It had already been a barbershop. As a matter of fact, before I got the building painted, it said Dave's Barbershop on the side of the building. Didn't, didn't cross my mind. I had something totally different plan for the front of the building didn't cross my mind so then now people who know me know this is kind of a natural progression they knew okay this guy's in barber school he's most likely going to start a barber shop sooner or later so now while I was in barber school I'll say this now because we're on the record now but while I was in barber school probably a month into barber school I started formulating my plan I said okay I'm, I'm, I'm already looking how to implement where I'm at. How to, how to figure out what the, you know, who needs to be involved in, in launching this barbershop. I had a list. Boom, I'm checking them out. Okay, build this relationship here. Build this relationship. Fellow classmates, I'm looking around. This person is on time. This person's kind of late. Who goes by the book? Who doesn't? Who, who? You know, and I'm like, okay, Sylvia, when Sylvia, Sylvia graduated, she's in chair number one up front. Sylvia graduated before I did. I couldn't go to her and say, hey, Sylvia, I want you to be working my barbershop. I knew I wanted her to work in the barbershop, but I had no shop. So I said to myself, I said, I said, I need to figure out a way, a recruitment tool to recruit her without actually letting her know that I'm trying to recruit her. So I bought her three books when she graduated. Same three books that I would recommend to anybody. They can grow rich. Richest Man in Babylon, and Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I got her those books. So that way, when I got ready to come to her and recruit her, she would understand my train of thought on on different things. So then, and then Madison, she's in chair number two. I said, "Man, she came. She graduated after I did, but I watched Madison. Okay, cool." She's, she's a stickler for doing things right. She's, she's not going to budge on it. She don't think it's right. She's not going to budge on it. I said, okay, now, in building this shop, I didn't go because they were the best barbers. I recruited them because of the long goal. I said, okay, I'm not just going to have one shop. I'm going to have multiple barbershops. So the first couple of barbers that work here, those first couple of barbers will be the first couple of managers in what we build. So I needed somebody not that could cut great. I needed somebody who could manage great. And I said the way these girls manage themselves, manage their time, at the shop or at school, away from school, I said they'd be perfect. We'll figure out how to get them to cut later. We don't worry about that. We can. I learned how to cut. Anybody can learn how to cut. So that's how they came. And and it just the doors. When I say the doors opened, as a matter of fact where it seemed to be brick walls doors started to be there you know you you watch those old movies and you punch a button and there's a hidden door you know it's just when you walk I understand walk by faith on a whole nother level now because you remember the old Indiana Jones movies when he throw the stuff out he's just walking now he's on this invisible bridge and it's like How am I doing? And he, because he believes, he believes. So when you believe that this is, this is where you're supposed to be going, walking on water is easy. I mean, it's, 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 it's only when Peter doubted is when he started to sink. But as long as he believed, he was able to stay afloat. And the key is belief, a huge, and I believe that there are certain things that I believe, I believe. And I see those things as clear as I see you. You know, I don't do a whole lot of writing the goals down anymore. Uh, I have a, a, a rough outline of goals because I'm fluid. You know, when you take a water, this water in this bottle, water, this water conform to this bottle. If I take this water and pour it on this table, it's gonna conform to this table, and it's gonna it's gonna run and it's 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 gonna level itself out and what so. In my life, I say I have to be fluid. So I have set goals, but then in those set goals, I understand that sometimes it might not happen at, in the exact time, but I'm okay with that. Two things I don't deal with is how and when, because when is connected to other people. You know, there's an old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. The when is connected to other people, so I don't deal with the when. I don't focus on the when, because I understand that, okay... This is where I want to go. That's it. And then I, I figure out why. That's my main. Where, why, what. That's what I live by. After after when I, I made my mind up this that I have to leave a legacy. I have to. You know, um, it's, that part is extremely important. When my grandfather passed away, all I got was a felt hat and a trench coat. Not that I wanted anything. But that I felt like if I leave this world today, I need to leave something behind, something tangible, more than a memory, something that's going to change somebody's life. And so, I don't, now I'm at a place where I'm not becoming. My goal is, the goal is not to become, the goal is to be. And so, I'm a firm believer that if a person doesn't do today what they want to do tomorrow, they're not going to do it. So today, in my now moment, I try my best to leave that legacy by creating opportunities, whether it be large or small. I talk to the barbers all day long, every day. You know, I go home, listen to a book. I'm at work at night listening to a book, and then I come back, and I'm pouring, pouring, pouring. You can do this, you can do this, tweak this, tweak that. This is why I do this. This is why I do this. This is the result. And so now, rather than me talk, because I could I can sell water to a well. I can sell lightning to a thunderstorm.
1: Yes, you can.
0: <laughs> Talking is, we can do that all day long. But now it's, what do you have to show for it? The darkest moment in my life, the turning point came from understanding that if I left this world, I would have nothing to show for it. Now, that dark, moment it was like it was gave me that epiphany that's when the light came on boom this is what I'm gonna do I did a lot of soul searching to figure out my purpose I feel like my purpose is to inspire encourage and empower both personally and professionally if I can do that if I can do those three things my life is fulfilled and the legacy in itself would be left if I do those three things. If I encourage, if the person says I can't do it, I say, why not? If I can inspire, listen, if you do this, it creates this. If I can empower, if I can say, hey, listen, I have a chair open. I recruited Sylvia, Sylvia, her long-term goal is music. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So I told her, I said, listen, I got a studio. She didn't know that's why I recruited her. This, the barbering is a stepping stone for both of them. You see what I'm saying? But because I operate with the end in mind, I know that her long term goal is music. So what better way to reach that than to cut out of a shop that has a studio in the back? <laughs> is a million dollars by forty still a goal for you? Yeah, it's a goal, and it's it, and it, it's a goal. Not because I, I'm a, I'm a very simple person. Like I'm I'm. I don't need a lot to survive. I'm good. Like, I'm going to tell you something, Tracy. My duplex where I live, compared to where I came from in life growing up, when I walk in, I'm still, five years later, four, going on five, I'm still amazed when I walk in. Because it is is by far the best. People don't even believe that I live there. You know what I mean? But it's nothing in there. It's really nothing. But to me, it's the best. So I strive for better, not for me. People, people, I, I hear a lot of flack about Fort Smith. Fort Smith, realistically, in a lot of areas, we're about five, ten years behind. I see the potential in Fort Smith, so I stay in Fort Smith. And I obligate myself to Fort Smith, so I don't have the temptation to leave Fort Smith. But I need to succeed in Fort Smith, not for me. Because somebody's, somebody's thinking about leaving Fort Smith right now. Somebody's thinking about when they graduate school, what their next move is. I'm the guy who says, no, I don't have an associate degree. I don't have, I'm not even close. I didn't even take the ACTs. I used to sleep in math class. <laughs> real, real quick story. I, I saw, I worked at Blazing Burrito years ago, and I saw my math teacher come through the line. And in and, and this particular math teacher whose class I slept in, I would tell her that I'm going to be a rich rapper one day. So when she comes through the line, I'm at that point I'm humbled because I would tell her, no, I'm not taking ACTs. I'm not going to do none of that. I'm not going to college, none of that. And now I'm sitting here rolling her burrito, and I'm like, nah, this sucks. But on the flip side, after I started the cleaning company, I saw another math teacher. And when he said, hey, Chris, what do you got going these days? And I, I own a business. <laughs> you know, it's pretty exciting. But no, I'm that guy who says, listen, you can start it. You can do it. You can do it. And it's not that I've read a million books and now I'm regurgitating what I'm saying. No, I live this life. I live what I'm telling somebody that they can do. The people around me, you know, I told a buddy of mine, I said, man, listen. And, I, and it was, it, you know, certain certain statements are can be an indictment toward people. So I watch what advice I give people because if I'm not willing to take on their burden, I try not to speak on it. Because it does it does them more of an injustice for me to tell for me to tell you, hey, you need to get out of your situation and me not willing to open my door to help you get out of your situation, it just adds burden to their situation. And so I told a buddy of mine one day and I said, Hey man, listen, how does it feel that I'm living the advice that you give me? And and it, it, it hurt him. It it cut him. And I said, Hey man, listen, I got equipment. I have equipment that I will give you if you move up here and start a business. He he, he went back home and, you know, it's just the execution of it, man. Some fear, is, fear is amazing because we talk a good talk, but fear will it'll petrify you. It's like cement blocks. And at the end of the day, I want to be that guy who's, who they say he did it, I can do it. Because I realized that the biggest difference between me and Steve Jobs is how we spent our time, what we thought about. You know, but... In reality, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm, I'm an abstract thinker first and then I think tangibly because I realize that the abstract is what creates the tangible. You know, Steve Jobs had the iPhone in his head long before he had it in his hand. And a good portion of our life hinges on how we think about stuff. That's why I listen to audiobooks, That's why I listen to motivational stuff. Not because that I want to just be motivated all all the time, but because I know that there's a lot of white noise, a lot of static. And I realize that if I don't stay vigilant, if I don't if I'm not aggressive with the way I think, then I could be swayed by everything else around me. My success is bigger than me. My success is because, like I said, that person who says I'm ready to leave Fort Smith and I ask him why. My success is because I want to succeed to show the kids playing at H Street Park, playing basketball on Sunday at the very same park that I watched crack cocaine be sold at. When I was their age, I want to be able to walk up to that park and say, listen, you can do this. And as a matter of fact, my business is in the same neighborhood. So yeah, that, that million bucks at 40, that's still a goal. I have a plan to do that. Going to barber school, going into barber school, I had a two-year plan that was a part of a five-year plan. That was a part of a ten-year plan. Now, when that ten-year plan at forty, when it when, and then I start another ten-year plan from there. I have other things uh, in my life now that makes working on that ten-year plan after forty a lot more fascinating. But my life is a manifestation of what I think on purpose, not on accident. My life is the equivalent of walking into a dark room and turning the light on. If 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 we go from the back of this shop to the front of the shop with the lights out, you'll bump into a wall. You're liable to bump into my punching bag. But when you turn the light on, all of those obstacles are still there. You just see them. I'm not in the business of eliminating obstacles. I'm in the business of illuminating them. Because if I need to see them, I can use them.
1: <laughs> what advice... Do you have for someone listening who needs to move fear out of the way and do that? Do that thing in their head that they've always wanted to do but didn't think they could?
0: I think that I think that I would start by saying, "Listen. Every day, every day is a reboot." Okay? So If you get the opportunity to see a brand new day, that in itself is a reboot. Realizing that, okay, this this is a new day. All we have in life are moments. The moment that we're in right now. So that's why I say I remain fluid. Because all we have is this moment. Now, I plan 10 years out. But the reality of that is I only have right now. So, my advice... Would be... Where do you want to go? Why is it important for you to be there? And what can you do right now? Right now. My where is huge. The reason why it's so huge... Is because... The where... If I tell you to take this, the top of this water... And throw it at a light switch the odds of you hitting that light switch with with this this cap are slim but if i tell you to take this cap and throw it at this wall that target is far bigger than the light switch and i can throw this cap at anywhere on this wall and hit it so my wear is huge it's big so i would advise think big get a big target Shoot for the biggest target you can find because the odds of you hitting that target are a lot higher than shooting for a smaller target. And it's just easy. Who wants to take the easy road out? Nah. The where. Where is big. My why. Pick a reason that you can't quit. Let me tell you something. Got a secret, Tracy. You want to know? I have a son. So my why, you see what I'm saying? My why is now literally my legacy. So the why is even bigger. If I thought I could quit then, there's no way I can quit now. So the where is big, but the why is just as bigger. And then the what. What can I do right now? Every story that I've told you up until now, janitorial company, going to barber school, even meeting Melanie, every single story started with what? What could I do at that moment? What could I do right now to get a step closer to my where? Why? Because it's that important. I try to make as many decisions as possible based on that. I've turned down, I got an email a while back from a guy who did some production work for Snoop Dogg. And he says, hey man, listen, I've heard your music. What can we do? I turned the deal down because it didn't fit my where. That's the reason I turned down the deal on the Janitorial Company. This guy made six hundred thousand dollars in a year, but it didn't fit my wear. I turned down a couple of deals based on that. And so that would be my advice. Move the fear. The fear, fear and faith are not opposing forces. Fear and faith are a different sides of the same coin. The, 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 the operation of fear is the same thing as the operation of faith. If you, as, as a matter of fact, if you look up fear in a dictionary and you look up faith in a dictionary, they really have the same definition a strong belief. The thing about fear is it's a strong belief in what will or won't happen based on whatever anxieties you may have. But if you take that strong belief, and, and the beautiful thing about fear and faith is that neither one of them exist. So the thing that you may be worried about, or the thing that, or even the thing that you believe in, neither one exists because it's all in your mind. So for that reason, I'd rather pick faith over fear. Because one produces hope and the other produces anxiety. You see what I'm saying? And so now, if fear is not absent life, you know, and if you use fear right, you can use fear to propel you. Because I have to succeed because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. You see what I'm saying? I just flip the pain. So my advice would be, what's more painful? What would be more painful? For you not to do what you believe you can do or what you believe in doing or... To do it, it'd be far more painful that I didn't go to barber school and become a barber, that I didn't start my own business. It'd be far more painful to work, to stay working at 760 an hour than to walk on faith. Far more painful. And for that, I'm more afraid of not doing it than doing it. So I use them. I use them both. I mean, people say, yeah, I... You know, negative, positive. You can't even drive your car without the negative cable on your battery. So it's just what you use. it. Like, it's it's, it's how you use the fear. How you use the faith. Because they're both essentially opposite sides of the exact same coin. So it's not about not being fearful. It's about what's more important. God is too big for me to figure out how everything is going to be done.
1: I got my money
0: right I'm going out tonight I feel so good inside I'm so high from this baby some a monk from down under, what well, I back to a man to make your boy wonder, they wonder why your boy speak, mainly about to come up, he about to better light tip, why don't him bloody shut up, an elevator's broken so I'm mobbing up the staircase, I had to leave yesterday to make it here today, entrepreneur from a new, maneuver to change spot, Went from a snoozer to a doer, I do it the change blind. now I'm eating better, living better, having better days, looking better, feeling better, all my bills paid, not saying I'm better than you, but I'm better at what I do, and I'm better at what I am Best I ever do A better body, better health Better product, better sales And I'm doing a little better Than the hand that was there A better mind, a better crown A little better when you try I'm getting better with every try I'm better off when I shine Sometimes you can't do anything right now Take a deep breath Calm down And when the moment comes to act At least you'll be ready to do it But that's that's my philosophy Where, why, what And the why outweighs the fear Because at the end of the day It would be far more detrimental for you not to be great, for you not to be uh, successful. Because ultimately for me, and I'll close with this because you know, Tracy, I can talk all day and you got me started. Ultimately, Fort Smith needs... I'm selfish. I'm a selfish individual. And I work with people based on their selfishness. And I'm selfish because I love Fort Smith. And the reason why my goals are the way they are and so when somebody looks at Fort Smith before they could ever fix their mouth to say you can't do XYZ in Fort Smith, I say, ah nope. Cause you you forgot that I was born here, bred here, and I'm still here. I had the opportunity to do XYZ, but no, I found greatness in the midst of this great city. So my where why what? Status. <laughs> It's official, Tracy, that's what I'm saying. It is official. Mm -hmm. Status. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
1: What a story. We're grateful for Chris's remarkable story of hope, determination, and faith. Of all the sage advice I've written down from my conversation with Chris, this is the one that stands out most. He said something like this. If I'm not willing to take on someone else's burden, I try not to speak on it. Because if I'm telling you to get out of your situation, but I'm not willing to open my door to help, I'm adding to your burden. Wow. Our next episode features my friend Ada Floyd. She'll share her story of losing her twin boys, doubting God's existence, and she'll tell us how the darkness rebooted her life as a wife, a mother of three, and launched her into a career as a professional counselor. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time.
2: We'd love to hear your Reboot story, privately, on our StoryWorks blog, or as a guest on an upcoming podcast. And we appreciate your feedback, either in the iTunes store or by way of email. Drop us a line, reboots, at winchellstoryworks.com, or on our website, Winchelstoryworks.com.